And the rest of us have a special treat. Like I mentioned, Brandon's here. And Izumi, are you going to join in with it? Good, good. <laughs> All right. So Lord bless you too as you come up and share about Japan. I'm going to clear my stuff out of the way. And uh, thank you for coming today. It's been a while. Last time Brandon was here, uh, she wasn't here. <laughs> and also too, your daughter as well. So anyway, some of you know Brandon and remember him coming. If not, this is Brandon. Hi. Well, I, I just want to thank all of you this morning uh, on behalf of our little family for the opportunity to, to worship with you this morning and, and for the way that um, you've embraced us already so graciously. Um, and, and now our daughter, this is my wife, uh, Izumi's first time in Oregon. So uh, she has a chance. She has a chance to see God's country and also to see how interesting Portland really is. Uh, uh, but we're just so blessed to be back in Oregon. Um, like Pastor Jim shared, uh, my last time here was back in 18 and the world was a completely different place back then. Um, the first time I was here was, my goodness, in 2012. Uh, so a lot has certainly happened since then, um, but it's such a joy to be back in um, Thank you so much for, for embracing both of us. And our daughter went down to Children's Church, uh, so uh, please be in, in prayer for her. Uh, you will see Izumi again, so please don't fall asleep, because uh, you'll want to stay awake for, for her. Um, you know, I want you to know right at the outset that we are not special people. Um, in fact, it's just the opposite. And it really is an overwhelming thought that the God of the universe, the creator of everything, would choose to reveal himself through ordinary people like us, that the Jesus who showed us in every single minute of his life what resurrection, good news, abundant kind of life should look like, would choose to work, would choose to send people like us out to transform such a, a, a broken, sin-sick world. Um, and... Uh, and my prayer, uh, as I've been praying through this morning, is that you would be able to see past us even um, and to see the, the big, big God that is at work um, in the world. And so I pray that, as, as Pastor Jim prayed, that he would receive all the glory and that it be none of us. Um, I want to thank you also on behalf of so many um, with whom and among whom we labor for caring so much about God's work. And so, so many of you have chosen to partner with us and uh, you intercede daily before the throne and, and, and I cannot tell you what a blessing that is because the enemy is also hard at work. Um, so thank you for caring about God's work. And again, it is his work. We just get to participate in it. Uh, and so thank you for building on those eternal foundations. Um, I like to begin the way I, I, I typically begin every time I get to I get to I get the treat to to share with um, with folks here in the United States, and uh, so I like to begin with a little bit of a word association, if that's okay. So uh, good, got the slides up. So um, so when you think of Japan, before we advance, and and I typically get some. I get some very typical answers. So before you, you get to see what those are, I like to present the same question to you. When I say Japan, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? And 
And you don't have to be polite, you can just shout it out. Sushi, good. I'm sorry? Anime, very good. Okay, must be someone young. <laughs> Samurai, very good. Okay. Anyone else? Gardens, very good. Pearl Harbor, oh my goodness, wow. Anyone else? All right, yeah. Um, okay, so let's take a look at the answers I typically get. So uh, um, next, next slide. Next slide. WGM, everyone, go. <laughs> so I typically get the cherry blossoms next. Next slide, please. OK, so this is sort of an iconic image. And I like this image because it, it presents a lot of what you typically think about Japan, right? You, the, the big mountain in the background is not hood, but it is Fuji. Fuji, thank you. OK, and we get the bullet train out in front. So sort of a real iconic image of what you think of Japan, right? And uh, the, you know these things are, are just wonderful. Uh, they just had a prototype bullet train that broke 300 miles per hour. Um, so, uh, you know, when you, when you think about it being a ground vehicle, that's quite extraordinary, right? Okay, next slide, please. So, um, my wife and I had, a, had, a, had a, the privilege of working for a decade in a small town of about a quarter million. Uh, and I say that a little bit facetiously. Um, but, uh, so we have, we have since uh, relocated, and you'll be hearing a little bit more about that today. Uh, we now are in Yokohama, which is the port for the city of Tokyo, so greater Tokyo metropolitan area. Still the world's biggest metropolis uh, at 40 million people. Some of you think Portland's too big. <laughs> and yet, next slide please. So, you know, to put that in perspective, I mean, Japan, that's like 16,000 people for every square mile. You can picture that. Next slide, please. So there are some sports folks. Uh, we just came down from, uh, from Washington. So we were in Mariner country, and they know that guy in the bottom right-hand corner, right? Uh, you know, and from my, my hometown of Southern, well, I come from Southern California. So we know that guy in the top right corner, OK? And you may have known we had an Olympics a while ago, and that was in Tokyo. Next slide, please. So some of you may think of martial arts, and there's karate, and there's judo, and there's aikido, and there's kendo, right, with this big bamboo, you know, spears, or swords. Next. Next slide. Yeah, thank you. So someone's got a Honda parked out back, right? <laughs> or a Toyota. I, I always get the car's answer. I don't know why I didn't in this, in this uh, you know. Your Toyota was probably built in Lexington, Kentucky, by the way. but. Anyway, next slide. So anime was mentioned. And I can usually figure out your generation by how many things in the slide you can, you can name, right? And I'm not endorsing anything here. Like, don't, you know, don't think that I'm you know, endorsing these products, because I'm not. Um, but you know, usually, you know, we have these, these influences upon popular culture, right? And so, like the number of things you can name usually, you know, usually there's an inverse correlation with your age, right? So some people are like, I don't recognize anything in that picture. <laughs> and next slide, please. 
so you, you may have seen some TV shows, and I know a while back, you know, the KonMari method of, you know, cleaning out your house was a big thing. Next slide. So someone mentioned Pearl Harbor. Uh, first time I was in Oregon, I was talking to a youth group, and um, and uh, you, you never, and, and I don't mean to make light of this. Uh, it's a very dark period in this country's history. My own grandparents were interned, or my grandfather was interned during the war as a Japanese, Amer as a person of Japanese descent living on the West Coast, and I know a lot of you have studied that period, and I don't mean to make light of it, but I was in Oregon um, and, uh, well, I have two great stories from Oregon. One of them was uh, I met a Marine who had been on Okinawa, and he had just shared about the vicious, the utter viciousness of the fighting, and they had shot one another's prisoners, he was saying. And, and he just told me a beautiful quote, which kind of stuck with me, and he said, um, my generation sacrificed to defeat the Japanese in the war. I will sacrifice again to make sure they are one for the kingdom. And this was a man who had experienced all the bitterness of that conflict. And for him to say something like that, that's the transformative power of the gospel, folks. That he was able to look at someone who had been the other, someone who had been the enemy, and to turn them into one another. I mean, that's such a beautiful thing. But the other story was not so, not, not so great. I was talking to a youth group, and I, same thing. You know, what do you think of Japan? And, and the, the boy in the front row, bless his heart, he says, atomic bombs. And the girl next to him just slaps him right there and then. <laughs> and it's kind of one of those moments, okay, let's just pray and go home. <laughs> next slide, please. So samurai was mentioned, ninja usually get mentioned. Next slide. Uh, the gardens usually get mentioned, so this kind of manicured beauty. Next slide. And sushi always gets put in there, right? How many can eat sushi, by the way? Okay. Oh, good crowd. Because last camp meeting I was there, you know, it was a good-sized crowd, and it was like three people in the room. So. Well, we see the world through, and I've done this exercise because we see the world through so many filters, right? Our backgrounds, our experiences, our education, our lack of it, um, you know, what kind of news we consume, God help us, um, you know, our politics, again, God help us. But I believe we're to see the world, ultimately, every part of our lives through the lens of God's word, Right? Okay, so I'd like to begin with uh, reading a very short, very familiar passage of Scripture. So if you've got your Bible or your device, go ahead and flip over to Luke chapter 9. Very familiar, and I'm, I'm going to try to stay in my lane and not go too long on this. So Luke chapter 9, and we're going to be just, we'll make it easy on you. We'll, we'll start with verse 1. Luke chapter 9. And verse 1. Are we all there yet? Good. As my daughter likes to say, are we there yet? <laughs> then he called his 12 disciples together <clears throat> and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. So it begins with power and authority, right? He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have any, do not have two tunics apiece. Important plot point there, by the way. 
Whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. In other words, doing exactly what Jesus had sent them out to do. Okay, skip down to verse 10. And the apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had done. Okay, so we fast forward a little bit. Then he took them and went outside privately to a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. But when the multitudes knew it, they followed him, and he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. When the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the surrounding towns and country, and lodge and get provisions, for we are in a deserted place here. Here's another important plot point. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, like we do, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And a lot of, if you read a lot of the other gospels, there's a lot of, you know, there's women and children in there. So um, they... You know, Luke doesn't mention them, which is unfortunate. But So we're looking at maybe 15,000, 20,000 people, okay? Um, which, you know, in the first century, that's actually a good-sized city, folks, okay? All right, so next. Um, and they said, we have, no more, we have no more than five loaves and two fish uh, unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men, and he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50, And they did so and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, so he orients his attention toward the Father. He blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. And you all know how this story ends, right? So they all ate and were filled. And 12 baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them. You know, so much of the way we live is, is shaped by our perception of the world. And when we look at Japan uh, with fresh eyes, we begin as with the story I read. And, and we probably, you know, I'm guessing in your community, you see the world the same way, right? As a church, Pastor Jim mentioned a lot of sort of, you're facing kind of a time of maybe challenge, right? And so we look across our cities and We look maybe across Portland, and as I look across Japan, our our first response is to see overwhelming, heartbreaking need all over the place. Just overwhelming need. And then this, so this miracle story speaks to all of us because we are all in a place where we're looking all around us and we, and we see nothing but overwhelming, heartbreaking need. Next slide, please. Um, because when we look at Japan, and, and, and I know I, I throw this out there every time, but it's just such a staggering number. It is 0.5% who even claim to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, who claim to be 
saved, born again, a follower of Jesus Christ. 0.5%, that's, that's not a typo, folks. That's half of 1%. Don't think that's 5%. That's half of 1%, okay? That's less than one in 100, all right? So if you flip that number on its head, that means that 99.5% of the people that you will meet on any given day are headed for a Christless eternity, okay? That, that's kind of a number that just halts you in your tracks, right? And I mean, there's just so no shortage of brokenness. Like in the hour that we meet today, probably two people, if the statistics are right, will end their lives, okay? So, you know, in the, and in the face of all of these circumstances and such huge need, the easy response, like the disciples, is to say, well, we only have a little bit. Lord, let them go find their own way to God, right? Those are people across the ocean, the other side of the Pacific. Well, Lord, all those people on that side of the world are not my, really my responsibility. You know, I have my own needs to take care of. I have my own spiritual life to deal with. Let them go figure out what they're going to do. Let them find their own food, Lord. And yet, here's the problem. Whenever there's need, it touches the heart of God. And Jesus turns to his followers, he turns to his disciples, he turns to us, and he says, you give them something to eat. Ugh. Jesus, do you mean that? I mean, you're joking, right? There's, there's 125 million people in the nation of Japan. 124 million of them don't know you. Over 124 million don't know you. You know, 99% of them are living a Christless existence. Probably 80-some percent of the population will live, will be born, will live, die, spend their entire lives having never had a relationship with a follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, never having met a follower of Jesus Christ. Probably 80% of those, right? Um, you know, there were a quarter million people in the city where we were ministering and probably, you know, if you took all the numbers of all the, so quarter million, if you took all of them, you probably could maybe fill up the first three rows of this sanctuary. All of the followers of Jesus Christ. I mean, that, so, you know, and we're supposed to do all of this, you know, you know, I, and, and I say this, you know, going back a few years, but we're, we were supposed to do this in the middle of a pandemic. You know, we're supposed to do this as inflation is going the wrong way. I mean, um, how do we do all this? You know, five loaves and two fish, right? Um, you want to know why I do what I do. Let me, let me lay this out there. Next slide. Let's go to the next slide and, and maybe one more. Let's go one more slide. Because this is a time for opportunity in fields that are ripe. Um, this isn't pie in the sky dreaming. This is the promise of God, folks, right? Because as we're witnesses, you remember how the story begins? The power and the authority of Jesus Christ are made available, right? And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, right? So he always provides the means. And, and you remember the disciples did exactly what he sent them out to do, you know? We read over those so casually, right? They were supposed to heal people and, you know, and, and cast demons out of people. And we read over that. And when I think about that, wow, that's extraordinary. You know, the, the power of God that was at work in them. 
Because the, even today, even today we're, we're, we're more modern and more sophisticated, the transforming power of the gospel is as mighty to save as it has ever been. If you get nothing else out of it today, get that. So when he turns to us and he says, you give them something to eat, you want to know why I do why I do? Because I believe that God has not given up on Japan. Um, because I believe that in the middle of all of these circumstances, I have an opportunity. I have the privilege of being able to see, of being able to be on the front row of what God is about to do. Um, I have the, to put it another way, I have the privilege of being in the front row of seeing miracles. Um, and so the crowd begins to sit down in groups of 50, right? Small group by small group, right? We look down on small groups sometimes, but they sit down in small group by small group and the disciples begin to serve and before they know what's happening, they're all fed to satisfaction from the hand of the bread of life himself. And that's how we believe that God's salvation and transformation, let's go to the next slide. And next slides, I'm sorry. Um, and we'll, sorry, I got behind my slides, so we'll go one more. Let, let's keep going, let's keep advancing. So that, that's the city, by the way, where we were privileged to minister for about a decade, and we have a new assignment, so um, we'll be talking a little bit more about that. Next slide, I've gotten way behind. Um, that's how we believe God's salvation and transformation come about. You know, we love Pentecost moments, right? We love those great moments of revival. And I don't mean to belittle that. That still happens, by the way. Um, but there's also a sense that the kingdom works like a mustard seed. It works in darkness, in the midst of darkness, in the darkness of the soil, in the darkness of a pandemic. When we feel inadequate, it's in the hidden places of people's hearts that the kingdom is taking root and sprouting. So my wife's gonna come up and she's gonna share a couple stories um, about where we've seen the Lord at work. And I know you wanna. <laughs> I know that feeling. I've, I've gone on my face before, so she, she recovered very well. Next slide. Let's go to the next slide. Okay, yeah, and so I'll be, I will be advancing the slides as she speaks. So if I hold up my hand, I don't want to interrupt her. So if I hold up my hand, that'll mean let's advance. In the middle of the pandemic, our church suffered tragedy. One lady had a history of struggling mentally and emotionally. One mother, one month after being released from hospital, she was found in her apartment. Her service was held a Christian's, her service was held at a local funeral home. The funeral home have, had never held a Christian service before. One afternoon, a month later, the president of the company shocked us when she came to our church with a warning. I haven't seen so many funerals in my career, she said. But for the first time, I felt something different. Even though there was sorrow, there was also such hope and peace in you all. And even though I do not understand it, I must know the reason. It is, it is a strange thing to say about our funeral, 
but even my whole staff was very moved by it. Then she asked us to film a short documentary about everything in Christianity, our belief, the Bible, the hope of life and salvation. Every staff member would see the video and know what it means to follow Christ. I didn't expect. I'm sorry, can we go back to, I, I put the slides out of order and that's on me. So can we go back? There should be some slides with mothers with children. And so we're gonna go through those now. The slides were out of order and then, so very kind of one, one more, one more, one get more. Okay, I think that's good. I didn't expect that becoming a mother would open doors to ministry. Around me were many first and second time mothers, and we became good friends because of our shared experiences and trial. They were always interested in us as a couple, and they approached and asked us if we could teach their kids to English. One mother, after a few months of class, was looking at the church bulletin board. I gave her a flyer of some of our Easter events, and she was surprised. I didn't know the church also celebrated the Easter, she said. That comments really show what it is like to be a Christian in Japan. While they come to learn English, we pray for them, and some of them have come to ask about the church as well. After Christmas, one mother came to me ask about the one after Christmas, one mother came to me and say, Izumi, why didn't invite me to come? Why I was embarrassed, I also realized that she was seeking something beyond just English. After that, they start to come to church. One week before we leave, the mother sent me a video that her daughter was praying. I was very moved, and thank you, God, for how it's working in their life. Every experience in life is a possible opportunity to connect it to someone who needs Jesus. Amen. Because in God, our, our brokenness, our sinfulness, our, our self-destructive tendencies, they don't get the last word. But God's hope, the transforming power of the gospel, he makes sure that they get the last word. And you better bet that as people that God has sent out to do his work, we have to live in resurrection power every single day. So now comes the hard part though. So how do we respond when Jesus says, you give them something to eat? You know, we look at what's on our hands and we look with anxiety at the rising gas prices and inflation and five small barley loaves, two small fish. And we say, well, what good is any of this? You know, some of the other gospels say, even if we gathered together eight months wages, it wouldn't be enough. Remember, Lord, you're the one when you sent us out. Do you remember the very beginning of the, of the passage? 
you know, we weren't supposed to bring a staff or bag or bread or money or extra clothes or a pickup truck or a smartphone or a credit card. You know, I added the extra stuff in, but, you know, if Jesus had lived now, I'm sure he would have added those in. You know, I don't mean to be facetious, but they were sent out with nothing. And how are we ever going to do what you've asked us to do? But there's no spoilers necessary. You know how the story ends. That's the the whole point of telling these stories over and over and over again, right? You know how the story ends. The important part in the story is not what you have in your hands, it's to whom you give it. And the disciples brought all that they had to Jesus, and he blesses it, and they begin to serve the people around them, small group by small group. And we don't have a whole lot to offer the Lord. I'll confess that. You know, in fact, I'll be honest, it's scary to give anything to Jesus in this climate. Um, it's, it's scary to trust him with any, with even the little we have. But if we can, if we can, I don't want to leave it there. If we can trust him, something amazing and wonderful and, dare I say, miraculous begins to happen. And small group by small group, Jesus meets the needs of the people. And in the same way, individual by individual, small flock by small flock, small group by small group, Izumi and I start to pass out our broken pieces. And you've seen a little bit about how even in those unexpected moments, God is at work. And we found that he has been at work in miraculous ways, in ways we could not have comprehended in the beginning. Next, next slide. And let, let's skip through these, the next one, next one, next one. This is Mrs. Ishimoto. I'm going to explain a miracle in action, a miracle at work. And Mrs. Ishimoto was our neighbor. And some of you who receive our newsletters, you've already heard her story. But she was our neighbor. And not only, you know, pastorally speaking, like love your neighbor kind of thing, but she was literally the person who lived next door to us, okay? And when I moved to Shimonoseki, which was where we were ministering, she came to meet me and she was curious about the, the, the strange American with the Japanese face. Uh, and she said, you know, I'd really appreciate it if you could teach me some English. And, but she gave, she gave me a, an implicit warning. She said, I'm a Buddhist. And you can probably figure out the subtext of that, right? Know why you're here. Don't, right? So, and she repeats it three times. And every time we go to see her, she makes a point of pointing out this big five-foot Buddhist altar in her home, okay? And, And you think, you may think that idolatry is not a thing, right? But she has this five-foot Buddhist altar in her home. It's this kind of gaudy, gorgeous, gold-plated thing, right? Really kind of a work of art, but she kneels before it every morning and offers incense. You know, worships the Buddha. Okay, and, and so I know already where I, where I stand in this situation, right? You know, this is a person whose heart is locked down effectively. And so how do you begin in a situation like this? Well, we were down in Sunday school, and we were talking about the number one answer, and that's prayer. You know, we overlook this, right? You know, 
we say this almost as a catchphrase or as a cliche as Christians. Okay, let's pray about that. But I got together, you know, Mrs. Ishimoto is in her mid-80s, retired teacher of, uh, middle school teacher of calligraphy. So I got together a group of likewise retired folk on this side of the ocean here in the United States, and they made her their special project, okay? So they said, they committed and they said, we will pray for her every week. This is a God-sized problem, we're on it, okay? Um, so uh, next slide, please. So it begins with prayer, as it always should, okay? Because this is his work, remember. Next slide. So, and then the next step is there have to be people who are willing to go. There have to be people who are willing to say yes to God. And I'm not talking about me this time. Next slide. In 2019, so a year before the pandemic, we got together a group of eight young men and women, okay? People like you, people like your sons and your daughters, maybe even like your grandchildren. And they came over to Japan, they came over to the, to the strange city they had never heard before. Some of them had never been, in this case, they were never been out of the state of Ohio, spoke no Japanese. Um, long, story, long story short, they were willing to say yes to God. Sacrifice the summer. And they, they did a lot of ordinary things. Hell, you know, taught kids soccer, taught kids art, taught English conversation, went into universities, gave testimonies. I can tell you with absolute confidence they, they touched the lives of thousands. Okay, there's still being people being affected because of them. But one of the people who was, a, was deeply impacted was Mrs. Ishimoto there in the red. And she invited them into, their home, into her home, which is unheard of in Japan. Because in Japan, it, you know, it's about the size of the state of California, but one third of the population of the United States. So everything, as you imagine, is very, very tight in close quarters. So very, very small houses, Okay, and she, so people are very reluctant to invite people into their homes, especially foreign kids, okay, who you don't know. But something in her locked onto these kids and she just felt so attached to them and she invited them in their home, shared a meal, which is a lot of times how the gospel begins to work. And something happened in her. And by the time it was time for these kids to return home, she was just in tears, weeping. Um, and, when there, and we saw God at work, and when there was a typhoon later that year, she, you know, the, oftentimes it would knock out our power, and she would say, you know, can I stay with you tonight? Or during the middle of the pandemic, she would just come over, and she would just want to be with us. You all remember the loneliness of that time. And she would just sit with us. Can I be with you all? And... Little by little, in the darkness of the soil, the kingdom of heaven was taking root. I want to thank you, brothers and sisters, because a small group of retired folk that may never meet her this side of heaven prayed for a sister on the other side of the world. People like you sent their kids the very best that you have to the city with a strange name that no one could pronounce, and they served. 
They serve their broken pieces. And finally, last year, next slide, please. October 9th, I remember it even now. It's a day of victory. She stood up in, in our worship service. Yes, she had finally come. She stood up in the middle of our worship service, or I'm sorry, at the end of our worship service, and she, she said, I don't know what it is. I cannot explain it. But there's something about all you Christians. You have such hope. Why is that? It's the missionary's dream question, folks. <laughs> this is the question missionaries live for. In fact, we're not expecting to get it so directly. And because of people like you, because people like you sacrificed of your resources, and there are many of you in this room who are doing so, we were there in that moment to give her an answer for the hope that we have. Today, Mrs. Ishimoto, this neighbor of ours, this avowed Buddhist, she's regularly, even though we've moved on from our church, she regularly continues to come. Her story's not yet over, folks. But little by little, small group by small group, individual by individual, the gospel transforms people. You heard the story. Next slide. You heard the story of the mother who ended up praying with her little girl because somehow, some way, she saw something in just something as simple, as common, as ordinary as a kid's English class. Next slide. You know, we get to go and we, we get to go into schools. We get to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Next slide. In the middle of the pandemic, you know, Gideons reached out to us and they had a ton of Bibles because they couldn't do anything with them. Four of us got together, a mighty, mighty host, got together. And we said, what do we do with all these Bibles? And we stood outside schools. And it's the middle of the pandemic, so we could not, we could not distribute them. Okay? So we can't give them out to kids. So we have to, next slide. So we, we had to give these, put them in baskets, and the kids had to come up and get it. Now, use your imagination. Try doing that in Portland, right? Try putting big signs, and the, catch, the principals let us do that, but they said, okay, you've got to put up big signs that say you're giving out Bibles. So these kids know exactly what they're getting into, because we don't want anyone kind of fooled or, you know, bait and switch. So we have to write Bibles, and we're like, oh my goodness, you know, I'll be the first to admit my faith was not where it should have been. And so we, and, but one of the good things is about, about this is we know that if someone takes a Bible, it's because they really wanted it, right? We're not pushing these books, you know, we're not pushing these Bibles in people's faces, okay? So if they want to cop, if they're curious about the word of God, it's because they want it. So next slide. So four of us get together, and we do this over a period of like a month and a half, two months. Next slide. Oh, I'm sorry, go back one. Oh, yeah. And we do this over a period of about two months, you know, and just, in a, just over about four schools or so, we had given out 883. Because that's what God can do in the middle of a pandemic with excess Bibles, you know, that we got secondhand from the Guineans. Next slide. Every day, 
What's important to us is not the five loaves and the two fish that we have in our hands, but to whom we give what we have. And in the end, it is people like Mrs. Ishimoto who remind us that Jesus has been at work all along. So what's in your hands? What can you offer the master? Next slide. As I close this morning, I'd like to tell you the story of a man named Mr. Morinaga. And he was born into a potter's family in 1865. So if you've studied your American history right at the close of our Civil War, and if you know kind of world history, you know that Japan was closed off for many, many years. Um, and Japan was just starting to open up to the West. And so this man, Morinaga, he chose to go to San Francisco of all places. Um, and he finds himself on the streets of San Francisco. Okay, so it's almost like a modern story, right? Um, and everywhere he turns, he's facing prejudice from others. And he's called all sorts of horrible names, which I won't say, but you know, he's sitting, he's penniless, he's orphaned by this time, okay? He's sitting alone on the streets of San Francisco and he's just experiencing nothing but verbal abuse everywhere, he's homeless. And in the middle of all of this, he, he just decides he's had it and he goes to take his own life. And he feels something mysteriously restraining him and pulling him back and he says, I have no ex other explanation except that it must have been an angel. And so he decides to wait a little bit longer and he's sitting alone by himself on a street one day and the Lord speaks to this Irish couple. And they said, you know, go over to that young man and we want you to talk to him. The homeless foreigner across the street, the strange guy. Remember, this is 186, this is 18, but by that time it's 1880s. Okay, um, you know, Asian Americans aren't real common on the streets of San Francisco. So go over to that strange young man. And so they do. In that moment, they choose to say yes to God. And they give him a single piece of candy. And they begin to share with him that the Lord loves him. That the Lord loves him unconditionally. And he's deeply moved by this by this couple. And he goes back to Japan with a newfound faith in Jesus Christ. And he starts his own candy business. And he begins pushing this little cart around with candy that you can see in the picture. And if you could read Japanese, and maybe some of you can, but it says the words of 1 Timothy 1.15, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And everywhere he went, his testimony was proclaimed. Today, his company is the largest and oldest candy company in Japan, worth over $4 billion. Um, and, I, and I don't mean to say that everything is associated with economic prosperity. Please don't hear me. But if you could, that red box over there, there's still glimpses of his testimony. Because that red box there in Japanese says manna, food sent from God above. And the yellow box, and we'll, when you, after the service, please come down and see us below. Because we'll have some of those caramels. If you can see that yellow box, it's hard to see. But they're caramels. And that was the first thing he started with in his candy business. And they still have the picture of the angel on them that saved his life in that moment. 
It began with an encouraging word and a piece of candy and an Irish couple willing to take a risk to a desperate, out-of-place young man. And when God told them to go, all they had to do was cross the street. So this is my challenge for you folks. And that one who was the other became the one another. They said yes to God, and Japan was changed forever. Next slide. So where do we go from here? This is our old church. We, we received a new assignment, and we had to leave behind our, our beloved congregation, people like Mrs. Ishimoto, and there are no pastors. No one took our place because of the shortage of pastors in Japan. It's about one pastor for every four churches at this point. Your average pastor is 75 years old, okay? 70, 75, so that's, you know, and there's a lot of pastors just hanging on by their fingernails, and I know that's an issue here in the United States, and I don't mean to minimize this. I don't mean, mean to minimize the problems even here, but this is a country with 0.5%, folks. Uh, next slide. And, and so we've had to walk away from our congregation, entrusting them into the hands of the Lord. And the reason why, next slide. And the reason why, so this, we took this picture on our last day. Next slide. And the Lord has led us to the seminary because we believe the next step for us is to multiply what we're doing and to raise up new leaders for the nation of Japan, to raise up people who are going to go out into their communities. And so we want to be an encouragement. We want to train them. We want to come alongside them and affirm them. We want to mobilize them for the kingdom. And so he has led us to the seminary, and we are going to do what we've done but we hope to, that the Lord is going to multiply this. So we are at the very beginning stage. We've been in our new location less than a month and a half. Please be in prayer for us. Next slide. And so that's the seminary. Next slide. And so we've begun to serve in, in small ways. Okay, and this is expanding and expanding even now. Next slide. But so the future is undetermined, except in God's mind. And so I want to thank you again. As I began this morning, I want to thank you again for your commitment to God's work. Several of you have been our voice to those around you, and you've, you've championed our work. You've sustained us with your giving. You have sacrificed for victory. And, and I see a few of you in this congregation. So you've become vessels of miraculous work. So thank you for participating in what God is doing in Japan. Thank you for telling our story of the two little missionaries and the big, big God that they serve. Thank you. So as I close this morning, we do have cards. So some of you have the old version where it's just me. And some of you have the even better version where Izumi is in the picture. Now you can have the, the new and improved version where there's all three of us. So stick it on your refrigerator, stick it in your Bible. Remember to pray for us. Um, there's also instructions if you want to start partnering with us. If God has spoken to you this morning and you believe that he has called you to become a part of this and to, to ensure the future of our work, we still are looking for, for monthly supporters. That's our biggest need. 
you know, our one-time needs have been taken care of, praise God. So there are QR codes. There's also instructions on how to do this. If you want to know more, please come and talk with us. We will be downstairs. God bless you all. While the worship team come on up. And as they do, um, Rod, prepared for that? Good. We heard a wonderful story about how God can use uh, people in, in, in different lives to bring about his will. And uh, we have an opportunity as well, too. And as Brandon said, um, be able to support them in some way. I, if God is tugging on your heart about that, I encourage you, meet them downstairs and uh, see what, uh, what God wants to do through you to help them continue on in this and get back to Japan. But also, too, remember what uh, Brandon has said, that although God may want to use you in that ministry, God may want to use you in a ministry that he has for you already. And uh, just to look at what God has placed in your lives, in your life to, to be able to give to others. What is it that's in your hand that you can serve others with, that you can be used by God with? What broken pieces are you thinking might not be useful for anyone? But God can use those broken pieces in someone else's life. So whatever God is speaking to you about, uh, just, uh, just obey into that. Uh, I'm going to pray. Rod, you're going to go ahead and uh, start the offering here. And we're going to uh, start in some singing. So uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the opportunity to hear from Brandon and Izumi. And I pray, Lord, that you continue to use them for your glory. Lord, thank you for also, too, how you've uh, brought people to you in their little congregation there in, in Japan. And I pray, Lord, that you would just continue to use the Cuba, Cubas as they continue to uh, serve you um, in the seminary. And, Lord, that you would, like you said, multiply the efforts. And uh, so, Lord, we pray your blessing upon them. And we pray also, too, Lord, that you would continue to speak to our hearts about how we might be able to be used in their ministry, as well as, Lord, be used uh, for your glory in our neighborhoods, in, in the people that we connect with, to be able to, ex to, to express your good news to those people. Lord, thank you for the opportunities that lay ahead for us to be able to do that. And Lord, also, too, thank you for the opportunity we have right now to be a blessing to the Cubas as uh, we uh, have this love offering. And pray, Lord, again, that uh, you be glorified through that. In your name we pray. Amen. <laughs> 